Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank the Lord for our children. Amen. Well, take your Bible if you can, please. Take your Bible first. Uh, John chapter 3. Uh, when Patty uh, was uh, recognizing us at the early service, she mentioned a few things. And I kind of, not that I forgot, but I haven't thought about it, but we've been going through uh, various books of the Bible for a couple of years now. We went through verse by verse. We went through Ephesians, then we went through First and Second Timothy, then we went through Revelation, then we went through Romans, and now we're going through Daniel on Wednesday. That was all on Wednesday nights. This is the first time we're going through a, a book verse by verse on a Sunday morning. But I don't know about you, but I've, I've been enjoying going through 1 John. I'm learning a lot about it. I hope that you're benefiting from it as well. But right now, if you're new to this or new to the church, uh, we are in chapter 3, starting at verse number 13. But let me just tell you that, uh, as a reminder, that we just got through looking at the previous section. The previous section, we entitled those two sermons, The Chain Breaker. And The Chain Breaker is looking for a little cooperation. And so with that in the background, he begins to uh, teach uh, from verse 13 down. So um, why don't I read that, and then we'll pray, then we'll get into it. 1 John three thirteen, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but let us love in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward him. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom, has given, whom he has given to us. Lord, thank you for your precious word today. And Lord, thank you for everything that's happened up until this point in this service. We do give you praise and glory and honor. We do worship you. We pray before you. And, um, and we give our offering back to you. But now, Lord, we're sitting at your table needing the spiritual manna that you have for us this day. I pray, Lord, your anointing to be upon me as I preach this word. Anoint my mind and my heart and my spirit. And, Lord, let this be a blessing to you. Lord, I pray that you'll be pleased with the preaching and uh, teaching and proclamation of your word today. And that your church... Everyone here, everyone at home, everyone who may listen to this down the road at some point will be blessed by it, will be encouraged by it, and will learn something that they need to know. 
So thank you, Lord, for this. Give you all the praise and all the thanks now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Well, I have to say, when I first read over this passage this week, I I was thinking that in my mind, and I, I say this in no disrespect, Lord, or John, it seemed a little disjointed to me the way that things were said, uh, but after I got into it, I think it kind of be, became clear to me uh, what, what John is trying to say. What he's trying to say basically is now that your chains are broken, right? If you, if you look back on that previous passage, he came to defeat the works of Satan, to destroy, to obliterate the works of Satan, to set us free. He came to do that. Now that he's done that and we're cooperating with him, he's telling us how to live in this world, what to do, how to live, how to interact with the world and interact with one another. And uh, I would remind you that the church he's writing to is filled with all different sorts of people, Jewish people, Gentile people, people who spoke Greek, people who were wealthy or poor or middle class or people who were healthy and people that were sick. And there were young and old in the church. We know that from chapter 2, verses 12, 13, and 14. It was a multicultural, diverse ethnicity there, multifaceted church population, much like the church of today. And we've already established over the last couple of weeks that when someone comes to Christ, we don't continue living the sinful lifestyle that we had before. We don't live in sin. We may slip every now and then, but we don't live there. And this is across the board for young and for old, for healthy or sick or whatever, rich or poor, whatever. And I thought about how, how it's hard for some young people to serve the Lord. Over every generation, there's temptations, there's, there's a pull, there's peer pressure, there's moral issues all the time. And then I thought about how, how older people have their own set of circumstances as well. What I mean is when, when you get older, and I'm not going to define what older is, whatever you think older is, but there's a whole lifetime of a pattern of thinking that we have to change in order to conform that to the will of God. So whether we're young or old, there's issues that we have to address in our lives to conform to the, the person of Christ that he wants us to be. So I think with, with that in mind, uh, we're going we're to dissect verses 13 through 24. And uh, I told James last night, I gave him the slides for the presentation today, and there were seven of them. I said, James, in all honesty, I think we're only going to get up to number two. And uh, that's exactly what happened at the early service. We got up to number two. And we showed the last one just to tie it up. But if we get through the whole passage by, by dissecting it, we'll be doing well. And then uh, you have to come back next week to hear the rest of it. Amen? Amen? Amen. Come on. Amen. Don't forget, we're, you know, we're, we're really pushing church these days. Have you noticed? We're pushing church. I'm so convinced it's important to be in the house of the Lord. If you can't get on live stream... That's why that thing exists, if you can't make it to church. I love the scripture that Pam shared on her Facebook post, 134, verse 2. Let us go into the sanctuary. When I read that, it was like I never read it before. The sanctuary, the light went on. Come to the sanctuary, everybody. Let's worship the Lord and raise our hands in praise, especially on a day like October 31st. You know, there's demons trembling today because Christians are worshiping Almighty God. Amen? You know, I don't, was it this service or the early, I forget where, where I said this, but there are, we've heard, there are witches in town and there's new age witchcraft going on that pray against the Christian church. Today we're praying against them. 
And we're pleading the blood of Jesus against any demonic activity. And, and just let, let the Lord have the victory over everybody and everything. But in any case, um, in verse number 13, I just find it interesting that the very first thing that, that John says after he's, after the paraphrase verses 4 through 12, the chain breaker has come. He's looking for cooperation. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Hallelujah. Victory, victory, victory. And uh, he says in verse number 10, if you look back real quick, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifested in various ways. The children of, of God practice righteousness and love each other. The, uh, the children of the devil are unrighteous and don't love each other. The example is Cain and Abel. Cain hated Abel because Abel was righteous. Cain was unrighteous. Cain killed Abel. And, the very, and, and, and when he wrote this, there was no uh, distinction, like a new paragraph. It was just, it just continued but do not marvel, my brother, if the world hates you. I'm thinking, oh my goodness. The, all, all that, you know, I, I'm doing good. The chains are broken. We're cooperating with the Lord. Our lives are transformed. And now the world hates us. I, I find it a little bit ironic because, you know, we don't want everyone to hate us. But, but remember in chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, we're not talking about the people of the world. We're talking about the world system. The world system hates us. It was manifested with Cain and Abel, but, you know, Cain took that on himself and, and took his wrath out against his brother. But, but the world system and, and God's system do not gel together. They can't. They can't really gel together. They can't mesh together. We're here. We're living here. We're living our lives here, being Christians here in this otherworldly place. But we don't fit here. You know, in a sense, you could say we don't really belong here, but we do belong here because God put us here to be a light and to be salt. But we don't gel with the, the way of the world. And I kept thinking, I've been thinking about this since last Sunday, that uh, Philippians chapter 3, Paul goes on a little thing where, where he gives up everything. He says, I, I, you know, I, I, I was the son of a Pharisee. I was a Pharisee from the tribe of Benjamin. I was earnest in my teachings. I was, I was full of zeal and had all these credentials. But he said, I've given up everything. I've given up all of that that I might know him, know uh, the, um, the power of his resurrection and that I may know the fellowship of his sufferings. And that verse ties in with this verse. And I have to ask the question, have you ever entered into the sufferings of the Lord? Have you ever entered into a, a, a situation where the way of the world was rising against you and you were rising against the way of the world. This happens when we stand for godliness or righteousness or when we put God first. I can remember back in the day when, when uh, Sunday night services were really popular and uh, Super Bowl Sunday was even more popular. But I remember distinctly when I would tell people, I'm going to church on Sunday night. On Super Bowl Sunday? Yeah, on Super Bowl Sunday. I would do it just to make a point, to tell you the truth. Did I want to watch the football game? Yeah, but you know what? I could watch it later. So I, we would go to church on a Sunday night. In the eyes of the world, that was crazy. When you tell people you go to church every Sunday, people look at you like, what, are you kidding me? Don't you, how do you have time? People, you, you, people, what if someone found out your giving statement for the year? And someone who wasn't redeemed saw what you gave to the church. 
They would think you're out of your mind. But all this is entering into the sufferings of Christ. And so when he says, why do you marvel if the world hates you? Of course they're going to hate you. They don't understand you. They They don't jive with you. So when you pull your kids out of public school for Halloween, everyone in the world is going to say, man, you're out of your mind. You're going to ruin your kids. And the Spirit of God within you is saying, yo, you're doing the right thing. You have convictions. Do do what the Holy Spirit is convicting you to do. But whatever we do, like when we stand up against unrighteousness, you know, we we receive the, the, the pushback from the world. So we stand for, for biblical views regarding life and death, regarding marriage and family, regarding right and wrong. And um, we face ridicule and suffering. But anyway, verse number 13. Why do you marvel if the world hates you? Now we're free. We're right with God. The world hates us. We, we should say it this way. We should marvel if the world doesn't hate us. And verses 14 through 24 kind of tell us why, uh, why uh, John is saying these things. So let, let's continue on. Verse number 14. We know that we've passed from death to... Has anyone passed from death to life? Ephesians 2 says, once you were dead, now you're alive in Christ. He raised you up. He put the Spirit of God in you. Verse number 9 says, we have his seed within us. We were dead in trespasses and sin. He's raised us up as a new believer, a new person in Christ Jesus. But it says, verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life. And here's the proof of that. Because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. We've been enlightened. The seed is within us. As my 11-year-old grandson said this week, he and Stacy were talking and he said to Stacy, I think they were getting ready for bed. He said, he said Mommy, uh, once you see the light, you can't not see it anymore, can you? Pretty profound statement. Once you know the truth or you see the truth, you can't pretend like you don't know it because you know it and it doesn't go away. This little boy's getting enlightened, but he's, he's coming from death to life at this age. It's, it's making sense in his spirit. And once we know the truth, we can't deny that we know the truth. The proof of that is, in verse number 14, that we love the brothers. We love the church. This is the whole basis of Christianity. God loves people. People love God back. And people love one another. So the lack of this, in verse number 14, he who does not love his brother abides in death. And there's so much death around us in the world, in the worldly system, there's death all around us. There's not life, there's not hope, there's not goodness. There's prejudice and hatred and violence and so on and so forth. Just listen to the news. So verses 10 and 11, as I said before, a child of God is manifested by living a righteous life. Not a perfect life, but a righteous life. And by loving the brethren. Verse 11 says, this was the message you heard from the beginning. Remember, John was there at the Last Supper when Jesus said, a new commandment I give you. Love one another. As I love you, love one another. All the world will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. The child of the devil don't have righteousness and don't have love. So, verses 13 and 14 kind of go together. Uh, we see things differently. The world hates us because we love God and we love the people of God. And, and who are the people of God that we're even talking about here? Who are the people of God? Who are the brothers and sisters in Christ? 
Well, they make up everybody. They, they, the body of Christ is made up of people that we maybe in the natural flesh wouldn't even like to be around. But we're called to love them and respect them and help them where we could. So the body of Christ, the brethren, are the poor, the sick, the hurt, the broken, the sinful, the foolish, the hungry, the humble, the redeemed of the Lord. They're the redeemed of the Lord. And this unredeemed system hates the redeemed of the Lord. This is what John is saying. Included in the redeemed of the Lord, I would include some people that are homeless, some that are addicted, some that are incarcerated, some that are outcasts, some that are unwanted, as well as some people that are rich and, 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 uh, and, and educated and strong and, and going forward in life and have good values and so forth. But well, they all make up the body of Christ. So by this, you, you know we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. We think of each other differently now because we have the love of God in our hearts. I can remember early on in our lives, uh, first understanding all this stuff. And, and mind you, we were uh, New Yorkers living in North Carolina. And uh, got to meet all these southern people down there with accents. And in our accent, I said, I don't have an accent. You have an accent. But they loved us into the kingdom. They accept us and loved us. And I realized right off, there is so much, so much diversity within the body of Christ. And we are called to love one another. So verse number 15 then says, um, uh, very cut and dry, John is. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. In other words, you can't say, you know, like he said, in fact, let's go back to chapter 1, verse 6. Just a couple of quick scriptures. 1, 6 says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 4. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. We got into this last week, but little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And for this purpose, the Son of Man was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And so John is saying we can't live in both worlds, although some of us try to live in both worlds. We keep a little hate in our heart towards people that we don't like for whatever reason. But verse number 16 says, by this we know love. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. As in verse chapter 3, verse number 1. I love this scripture. There's the word behold. Behold. Don't, don't, don't pass through that too quickly. Think about this. Behold. Grasp hold of the awesomeness of what he's going to say. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Jesus said it himself. The, the world hates me. They're going to hate you. The world is persecuting me. They're going to persecute you. So, verse number 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. He willingly gave up his life. He emptied himself in his divine position and uh, left glory to come to earth to die as a ransom, as the innocent Lamb of God, spotless, humble, broken before his Father, before his people, and before the world. I often wondered what would have happened if Jesus, as he was on the Via Della Rosa, and he, and he was being tormented and, and mocked and ridiculed and punched and hit and carrying the cross, if he called down angels from heaven to destroy his enemies. 
If you called upon the Holy Spirit to do something. Or if you called down fire and brimstone just to end it all right there. But no, he endured the pain. In Hebrews 12 it says he endured the shame for the glory set before him. He took all the sin upon himself that we would be set free. It's the hardest thing to do. But then verse 16b says we ought to love or we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren in the same way. So this is where this is where Christianity takes on a, a not a vertical but a horizontal position where we love one another. We love one another. And we should do the same for other brothers and sisters in, in the church. Now most of us, when we were brought up, like myself, probably most of us, I, I would think, we were brought up with an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth mentality. Like growing up as a kid. You'll hear me, you hurt me, I'm gonna hurt you. You hurt my brother, that's even worse. I'm going to hurt you even worse. But, you know, you hurt my family, I'm going to rise up against you. But, see, when we come to Christ, we can't do that anymore. We have a different mentality. We have a different anointing. We have a different way to look at things. We pass from death to life. And so we remember the scripture that says, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And we follow Jesus' example to lay down our rights to get even and to put others before ourselves. We release people to the Lord. Now, that doesn't leave out church discipline when it's necessary, because that's important too. But we, we re- release people to the Lord. Verse number 16 is ve- a very important verse. Let me say it again. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. So we think about what Jesus did for us. That's the, def- that's the definition of love. And we also ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. Here, here's my, my comment on that. You know, we've been serving in the church since 1987. You know, we've been around a long time. We've seen a lot of people come and go, you know, over various churches. My thought is in verse number 16, we lay down our lives for our brothers too. My, my only hope is that people would stay around long enough to receive the love. Someone gets offended, someone gets hurt, boom, they're out the door. I'm just saying, you know what? Nobody's perfect here, by the way. We're still trying to figure this out the best we can, right? But with the anointing of God on us, can we just allow the Lord to work through the body of Christ and to get better, to get, to get right with God and to love one another? It may take time to work through these issues, but, you know, we're called to do that. And then so verses, I think verses 15 and 16 kind of go together with relationships and loving each other. And I'll be the first one to tell you. Like I said, we've been around the church for a long time. And um, we've seen a lot of people get hurt in churches. We've been hurt in churches. You know, it's it's part of the territory, so to speak. But, But love should abound anyway. Love is the goal. We're called to love each other. If there's a Christian that harbors hate in their heart, we have a real problem on our hands. We're called to rise above and to crucify our flesh and rise above and deal with things that way. But then in verse 17, he changes the tone a little bit. Because now he's going from relationship like that to, to like practical things. Where he says, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? I would say, how does that work? How do you, how do you say you're a Christian? How do you have worldly, you've been blessed with worldly goods, and you see your brother in need, and you shut down your heart. You don't allow your heart to be moved by someone else's need. How does that work in the body of Christ? John is saying that doesn't work in the body of Christ. That's exactly the opposite of how it should be. 
If, you have, if you've been blessed, he's saying you should give of your, what you have to bless other people. So, so uh, whoever has this world's goods, food, clothing, shelter, or whatever, and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? James chapter 2 talks about that. If you see your brother in need or a brother hungry, and you say, oh, God bless you, have a good day, what good do you do? He says, faith without works is dead. You bless people with what you have. And so verse number 18. Now, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue. James says the same thing. But let us love in deed and in truth. And so he's going on and uh, let, us, let, us, uh, let us love in deed and in truth. I want to talk about this. In verse number 19, he says, by doing this, by doing what God tells us to do, this is important to get. We know that we're of the truth, and we shall assure our hearts before him. So if we're abiding in the Lord, we're doing what the Lord tells us to do, we're reaching out, loving people, nurturing people, giving stuff away that we, that we can. He says, by this, verse 19, we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. And then verse number 20 is probably a very misunderstood verse where it says, if our heart condemns us, well, why would your heart condemn you? Why does your heart condemn you? I, sometimes I condemn myself with, with my, the way I say things or do things. I'll, I'll beat myself up. Why do I do that? Why do you do that? It's a lie of the enemy. It's a lack of faith maybe or just some, some insecurity that we might have. But what what are you saying here? If your heart condemns you, like you're doing all the right things, you're blessing people, you're loving your brother, you're living as righteous as you can, and your heart is still condemning you, you've got to recognize that as an attack from the enemy. God is greater than your heart. God knows your heart better than you know your heart. So verse 21, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence with God. And isn't that the goal? To have a confidence with God. So to do the good things that we're called to do, to live a godly, righteous life, to bless other people, to love other people, and to have that confidence that we're doing God's work. If our heart condemns us, like, for instance, uh, my heart will condemn me sometimes. I didn't preach good enough. I didn't say the right thing. I didn't articulate what I really wanted to say. It came out the wrong way. Or I should have done that, or I should, have, I should have gone there or not gone there, or whatever. I should have addressed someone, and I didn't do it, or I didn't do it right. I'll beat myself up. And the Lord is saying, will you stop? Just stop. And, and, it's, and the Holy Spirit's saying, look at the good that you're doing. You know, we all need to look at the good that we're doing. I don't think anyone would be here or on live stream today if we weren't at least trying to serve God. There's a million other things you could do today than sit here or sit at home watching a live stream. But just the fact that we're here pressing in. And oh, what a good worship time we had this morning. Crying out to God. Lifting up the name of Jesus. Why do we do that? In the midst of our need and our problems and our issues, we're worshiping God. That's exactly what God wants us to do. And exactly what the enemy doesn't want us to do. He would want us to stay home and, as my mom would say, eat worms in the backyard. Just stay home and be miserable. Mom, sorry, I had to throw that in. (laughs) <laughs> so if your heart condemns you man get on the right track do the right things love god love people you know give give your things away if you give give someone a ride give buy someone a cup whatever you want you could do do something for the kingdom and if your heart condemns you know in your heart of hearts god is bigger than your heart greater than your heart and god knows your heart 
So don't condemn yourself. This, this is a pet peeve of mine. This is like one of the things where in Philippians where it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is one of my issues, personally. I remember years ago, we were brand new Christians, and I, the Lord gave me a song. I wrote a song. And, and, and not, I won't sing it, but the song is about falling and feeling condemned, and it's a trick of the enemy, and I better get up and serve the Lord again. It's been a theme my whole life, it seems. The enemy wants to make us feel guilty and feel bad. And I'm saying we have to stop allowing that to happen. I'm the first one that's saying it. I'm leading the pack. The enemy's a liar. The enemy is a liar and a deceiver. And he wants us to feel miserable and eat worms in the backyard. But Jesus has come to give life and give it abundantly. That's why we sang earlier, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom. There's an anointing. There's like... So, so, look, nobody's perfect, church. Come on. Th- think about it. None of us have a right. Who are we kidding? It's God working in us. All he wants is a willing heart. And again, you're in church, praise God. You're at home watching this sermon, praise God. We're off to a good start. We're halfway there, you know. And, and God sees that. But the enemy of our soul wants to make things complicated and bring us down and, and tear down what God has been doing in our lives. I'm telling you, it's a trick of the enemy. And I, I, don't, I think I told you this. I don't use the word hate often. I really don't like the word hate at all. I don't like to use the word hate. I reserve it for hating Satan and demons and evil. That I do hate. And I hate when Satan trips up people. Because we're called to love God and love people. And when Satan trips up people, the whole body of Christ suffers from it. It's an attack of the enemy. And like I said, this is a season in the world where um, uh, um, New Age, witchcraft, and so forth are really thriving right now. But you know what? The body of Christ needs needs to thrive even more right now. That's why I was determined to have communion. We don't normally have communion on the last Sunday of the month. We have it on the first. We'll have it on the first next week as well. But I wanted to make a point in the spiritual realm. (laughs) No one's going to get over the church of Jesus Christ. I don't care what day it is, what holiday it is. That's another thing. I I, I had on BBC News the other day, and the, 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 the announcer was saying, everyone's getting ready for the holiday of Halloween. I said, wait a minute. Halloween is never going to be a holiday. I don't know. The world says it's a holiday. It will never be a holiday. And I read there's $9 billion spent on Halloween every year in the USA. This is crazy. This is nuts. But I'm here to say, you know what? As as the enemy forces are, are amping up, the spirit of the living God, man, I don't know about you. The God I serve is a warrior. He's a fighter. And my God will fight for you. Our God will fight for you. If you let God fight for you, all this, all this like, you know, mamsy-pamsy, God is passive. God is not passive. Our God is a warrior. He's a fighter. And he will fight for us. And we sing that song off, and Stacy will lead us. This is how we fight our battles. We fight our battles. We worship God. We press through. We go forward in spite of what's going on around us. And again, nobody's perfect doesn't matter about that. We just press into God because we, we see the vision. We see the, the point of God. We see God in our lives and what he wants from us. He wants our heart. 
So we give him our heart. But anyway, so did you get this now? If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And right in that, in that verse right there, verse number 21, that's where full life in Christ really begins. In other words, we're not worried about our sin. We're not worried about stuff we did. It's all under the blood. We're on the right track. We're doing the right things. We're serving God. Not perfect, but we're doing okay. And, and now, now we have no, no uh, guilt on us, and, and we have a confidence with God. And look at the very next verse, verse number 22. In that setting, whenever, whatever we ask of God, he hears us, he, and he, he, he's with us in a different sort of a way. It says we're, we're living in his commandments, obeying his commandments. We're doing the things that are pleasing in his sight. He hears our prayers. He acts on our behalf. You know, we have relationship with God. And this is what the Lord is talking about. You know, sometimes you have to ask, why do I feel so bad and miserable all the time? Well, what are you doing for the kingdom of God? Well, I can't do anything. Well, yes, you can. You know, if you can't do anything, the least you could do is stay home and pray. Everyone could do that. Just pray. That's probably the most you can do, but pray. But when, you, when, you're, when you're functioning, you know, serving other people, blessing the Lord, taking care of your own personal problems, your own personal sin, you're pressing into God and, and, and you're doing the right things. You know, don't let your heart condemn you. Have a confidence that God is with you. This is why God came. God didn't come for perfect people. If that were the case, what, what's, what's the point? He came for all of us that are sick. And you know what? We're all sick. <laughs> I love to say that. He, came, he didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. And we're all sick. Ka-ching. <laughs> we're, all, we're all in need of the great physician. You know, even the best of us and the worst of us. doesn't matter. We're all in need of the great doctor. The great doctor is Jesus. So when, when we have this confidence, verse 22, then when we, whatever we ask, we receive because we keep his commandments, we do those things that are pleasing to him. I would just throw in the, the little footnote, according to his will. You know, he, does, he answers us according to his will. And then verse 23, this is his commandment, uh, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Believe. Believe on his son, the, uh, the person, the name, Jesus Christ. Believe, have faith. We talked about this the other night. I think it was during the, the men's uh, Zoom meeting. How do you have faith? How do you have hope? How do you get that? Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? So you put yourself under teaching and preaching of the word of God. You read, you meditate, you, you, you ponder the word of God. You allow faith to rise up in you. You believe in God. Believe in God. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. You believe in God and uh, you love one another as he gave commandment. The new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. By this all will know that you're my disciples. And then verse 24, he who keeps his commandments abides in him. Here we go again. John is unrelenting with this point. If you say you're a Christian, you have to be abiding in him. You can't say you're a Christian and never do Christian things. Never worship God, never pray, never go to church, whatever. You can't say, well, I'm a Christian, I was born that way. No, you weren't. No one's born a Christian. But when you, when you come to Christ, you, you keep his commandments and you abide in him. This is a great argument against the once saved, always saved doctrine. If you abide in him, yeah, you're saved. 
If you're abiding in him, no matter what happens, as long as you're abiding in him, if you're not abiding in him, you're not saved. If you have murderous thoughts in your heart, as it says before, you don't have Christ in your heart. You don't have the seed of faith in your heart. You can't be. You can't have God in your heart. If, you're, if you have murder in your heart, it, it, they can't coexist. So he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. That's like a, a little, not a footnote, but like, 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 like uh, supporting the whole thing that he's saying is and whatever you do, whatever you say, all that stuff. But underneath all of that, you have the spirit of God, right? Romans eight sixteen, his spirit bearing witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. Don't you know that church? Do you know that? Do you know that you're a child of God? You should know that. In spite of whatever you do or you have a bad day or whatever, you should know in your spirit person that you're a child of God. So this is, the title of the message is The Christian Way. And uh, there's no way I'm going to do the second part of this sermon. Uh, What I was going to get into was, maybe the last slide would be good, James. Um, We'll get into this next week. But what is your position in the world? How does the world look at you? If you're too friendly with the world, you might have a problem. If there's no angst, if there's no, like, something in you regarding the worldly system, there's probably a problem with your heart, something not yielded to God. Is that too strong to say? In other words, who doesn't want to be popular? Everyone wants to be popular. Everyone wants to be accepted. I get all that. I, I, w- I told the early service that I think before I was in the ministry, I had a few secular jobs as, as a Christian. And I think the people on my jobs had respect for me because I think I had a good work ethic. I think I worked hard at what I did. But I know behind the closed doors, I know they were making fun of me in my faith because I was, I was not quiet about my faith. I'd always say something. And I knew, I knew they were like talking about me, but I didn't care. I really didn't care. But I knew there was, like, there was me and there was them. And other Christians, then there was us and them. Were, like, we were separate. We knew. There, there was a difference. We all got along and had to work together. We have to. But there was something there that told me, that's, that's them and this is us. And we're different than them and they're different. Than, and never the two shall meet. So we, should, we would try to win them over. But anyway, how do you feel about it? What's your position in the world? If you're so comfortable and you don't know there's a difference, maybe there's a problem. The second part is, uh, I, I call it the litmus test, but how, how do you know? What, what's the evidence that you're in Christ? According to this, it's how you love each other, how you respect each other, how you care for each other. And so many Christians will say, I don't have time for people. I don't have time for their headaches. Can I tell you something? <laughs> Christianity is full of people with headaches <laughs> and problems. It's It's real. It's real life. If you want to pretend we we're, we're live in some nirvana place, you know, go to outer space or something, the real world is full of problems. People with real problems come to Jesus. Didn't you? I did. I still do. I still come to Jesus with my problems. And we're, here we are, all these imperfect people with problems. It's called the church. But what do you do with that? Oh, I don't like those people, you know. No, you can't do that. When you, come into, when you come into a relationship with Jesus, his example, he laid his life down. Now we have to lay our life down for our... This is within the church, by the way. This is not about the world. He's talking about brothers. A whole other thing. 
And then he says the, the other thing. I, no, I'm preaching the sermon, but he's, talk, he's talking about confidence. How's your confidence? Do you have confidence in the Lord? I don't mean, you know, you're, you're so braggadocious and you just tell everyone. I'm saying you have confidence in, in your heart. You're a man of God. You're a woman of God. And you have your works to back it up. You, you know, you can't just say it, but you, you, have, you have some momentum. You've, you've given God your heart. You've given God your hands. You've given God your feet. You do for the kingdom of God. And so when the attack comes, where's your confidence? Now, get behind me, Satan. I don't want to hear your lie anymore. I'm doing the best I can for the Lord, and the Lord knows my heart, and God is greater than my heart, so get out of here. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? So how's your confidence? I want to talk about confidence. And the last part is the Holy Spirit anointing. Because ultimately, if we don't have the Holy Spirit anointing, we might as well be joining a, a social club. It's all about the Holy Spirit at work in us. It's all about Jesus and the Spirit of God perfecting us. And let me just reiterate the first part of chapter 3. Jesus is coming back. We don't know what we're going to be like, but when he's revealed, we're going to be like him. And anyone who has this hope in him purifies himself as we live in this ungodly place called earth. And we rub shoulders with ungodly people that are coming to Christ. And now we're all in this big thing together. And we're all working out our salvation with fear and trembling, maybe a little bit different, but we're all working something out and we're all imperfect and we're all striving to run with God. Get ready, church. Get ready, church. You know, this whole COVID thing has been a mess. It's been a mess for the church, for the people of God. This whole Halloween thing is a mess. There's like obstacles. We're getting obstacles all over the place. I am so determined to press through these obstacles. I don't know what's going on with me, but I feel like, I feel like Rocky getting ready for a spiritual warfare. I don't know. I feel like I'm ready for a battle. You want to fight? I'll fight you in the spirit. I don't care anymore. I don't care what people say or think. It doesn't matter to me anymore. You know, I'm going to serve Jesus. And uh, that's it. If people don't like it here or don't like the message... There's other churches down the road that are very liberal. You can do anything you want. No one's going to say anything. But, you know, when you come to a, a Bible-believing church, we have a whole different standard to live by. So it's the, the Christian way. So are you in the Christian way or not? Are you in the Christian way? Well, why don't we stand together? I wanted to close with verse number 16. And uh, it says this, By this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us. Some people say, I know love because he gave me a bunch of money. I know love because he gave me a gift or whatever. No, I know love because I see what Jesus did for me. That's love. He sacrificed his life. He gave up his life. He took the punishment that was due for me. And we also now ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Can we say it together? Come on, verse 16. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. One more time. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Amen.
and every head bowed for just a moment. I wonder if there's anybody here or somebody at home that feels like, you know what, I just want to lay my life down. I want to surrender everything to the Lord, and I want to start brand new with Jesus. So if, if you've never accepted the Lord, I'm asking you today, do you want to accept Jesus into your life? Anyone here, anyone at home, write in the comments, we'll get back to you. Is there anyone here that feels like, uh, I, I want to come back with a, with a fervor, with a sold-out heart to God? Anyone like that? I want to come back to communion, as we sang earlier. I want to come back to relationship with the Lord. people need prayer this morning to do what we've just been talking about, to lay your life down and to live, really live for the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, as I pray, I'm going to ask you if, if anyone needs prayer or wants to respond to those questions, come up to the altar and just stand here facing towards me and we'll pray with you right after I say the final amen dear father lord god we love you thank you for this message and thank you for this whole season we're in going through this book but lord I sense in my heart that you are definitely calling us out of darkness to walk in your light you don't want a half-hearted walk you want a full-hearted walk and so, Lord, today we surrender everything to you. And we ask you, Lord, if we're too comfortable in the world, Lord, convict us of the areas of our lives that we're too comfortable in. It could be the way we talk or the way we think, what we do, who we associate with, where we go. Lord, help us to sense uh, the way you would feel if you were here and you were, you were coming against the forces of evil or the forces of the worldly system that you tell us so clearly to avoid. Lord, give that to us, that we would know the difference. Lord, we also want to pray that you would help us to love one another and to really reach out, reach across the table to people that may be different than us, have a different life experience than us. Let us embrace one another and love one another. And Lord, for many of us, our heart condemns us, and it, often it does. For whatever reason, Lord, help us to remember you are greater than our heart, and you know our hearts. And so we just plead the blood of Jesus over our heart today that whatever's going on with us, the guilt, the shame, the burdens, we give it all to you, Lord. And just say, Lord, forgive us and help us. Let us rise above it, O oh God, in Jesus' name. And Lord, ultimately, may your Holy Spirit undergird everything that you're doing. It's all for you, Lord. It's all about you. It's all for you. And so, Lord, we want to be the church that, that is sold out and, and doing things according to your word. And, Lord, that means a lot, of, a lot of dying to self and living to the Spirit. Help us, Lord, to do that. In the name of Jesus, we thank you and we praise you, O oh God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord.